Hey, I'm Natasha Crane. And I'm Elisa Childers. Welcome to Unshaken Faith, where we equip you to live your Christian faith boldly in a chaotic culture. Back in 2018, megachurch pastor Andy Stanley came under fire for suggesting that as New Testament Christians, we should unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. What followed was, frankly, a lot of confusion. So at times, Stanley seemed to be walking back his comments. And while his confusing comments about homosexuality and LGBTQ inclusion have left many Christians wondering if he is sliding into progressive Christianity. And so even though I wrote an article responding to this unhitching, I've been personally slow to criticize Stanley because of his record of biblical faithfulness, but it seems the time has come to put Stanley into the category of mark and avoid. When the Bible identifies false teachers, it speaks of those who secretly bring in destructive heresies. And that's found in 2 Peter 2, verse 1. And it says this, they promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. And that's from verse 19. In Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20, Jesus himself warned to beware of false prophets. He said, you will recognize them by their fruit. And according to the New Testament, as we're going to talk about today, good fruit means obedience to God and his word and bad fruit is sin. So the question we are asking today is this, has Andy Stanley gone off the rails? What fruit is his ministry producing? But first, an announcement and our tips of the week. Yeah, well, we just finished our third Unshaken Conference. This one was in Tucson, Arizona. Just got back from that. It was such a great group of people. We had such an awesome. amazing time. And I told Elise, I just came back to the, the hotel room after that conference and felt so full and encouraged from the day that we had. So to those of you who came out to see us in, in Tucson, thank you so much for being there. It was really just a beautiful day. And if you haven't been to an Unshaken Conference yet and you're anywhere near the Nashville area, uh, we're going to be there on November fourth. So be sure to get tickets. They're still available. You can go to unshakenconference.com. And by the way, at every conference we've been to, there are many people who come up and tell us that they flew in from all kinds of places. I met yeah. somebody who flew in from Nebraska and South Dakota and Albuquerque and uh, just all over the place. And so you can fly in for these conferences. Other people yes, are. You're not you crazy for doing it. It's that exciting, Lots you guys. of people do girls' nights. They do girl, yeah. like girls' weekend, and you'll have like five or six women that come together and stay in a hotel and do the Unshaken Conference. I've, several times I've met women doing that, so... Yeah, we even we met somebody from North Carolina who had flown out because they couldn't make the Nashville date. So they were like, well, let's let's just go to Tucson. So that was awesome. So however you might get there, we would love to see you there. And just as a reminder, we recently announced we'll be doing four more dates in 2024. We're so excited to continue this on and go to some new places. We're right now solidifying those locations. I think we're getting kind of close to being able to announce them. So just stay tuned for that. Well, my tip this week is really simple, but it's just to keep reading books. A lot mm. of research has shown that people are reading fewer and fewer books each year. And surely that's due in large part to the time that people spend online consuming information in bits and pieces. And when I say people, I include myself in that. It's just so tempting to, you know, spend all your time reading little bits here and there, things that pop up on social media. But there's only so much depth that you get from reading in those kinds of small chunks. And I really think that there is great value investing the time to read more deeply on various topics, especially when it comes to faith-related subjects. And of course, the Bible comes first, 
but I just want to remind everyone today that all the time we spend consuming bits and pieces online adds up, and some of that time can be more fruitfully spent engaging with some book-length material. That's really good. And my tip has to do with a particular apologetic argument having to do with biblical reliability. So sometimes a skeptic or somebody who's asking an honest question might have heard that the Bible has contradictions or that the Gospels contradict one another. And that's a really broad statement. And so what I think we need to keep in mind is that when people are challenging the reliability, particularly of the New Testament, there's really two questions that need to be asked. Number one, are they asking a question that's related to the manuscript tradition and the copy? In other words, do we have an accurate copy of the text? That's a different question than do those copies tell the truth about what happened in the first century? And so your your friend or your skeptical person in your life might be making a statement about what's actually written on the page and not necessarily about how it was copied, but they use the word contradiction, they might mean that they think the manuscripts contradict one another. So it's really good to just ask that clarifying question. Do we have an accurate copy? And do those copies tell the truth? And that's going to take you down two different apologetic paths. So it's really good to just kind of isolate what the person is really asking with those two questions. Oh, I love that tip. That's so good. I think that a lot of times when people are getting just started in apologetics and the question of the reliability of scripture comes up, they almost always go to the transmission of the text. They almost Mm -hmm. always go to how many copies we have and how many, compare that to how many we have of other ancient texts. And I'm always thinking, yeah, but you can accurately copy things that weren't true in the first place, right? So it's totally Mm -hmm. two different subjects. That's a really great tip. Well, this week, Andy Stanley's North Point Community Church is hosting a conference called Unconditional, which is a two-day event for parents of LGBTQ plus children. But this is not a conference geared at helping parents disciple their kids to believe and accept what the Bible says about gender and sexuality. This is a conference that includes speakers who are openly gay and married to same-sex partners and others who advocate for same-sex marriage. We want to provide the full context for the event in their own words. So I'm going to read the description from the conference's website. Quote, you're invited to the Unconditional Conference. This two-day premier event is for parents of LGBTQ plus children and for ministry leaders looking to discover ways to support parents and LGBTQ plus children in their churches. You will be equipped, refreshed, and inspired as you hear from leading communicators on topics that speak to your heart, soul, and mind. We deeply desire this time will bring about healing and restoration. No matter what theological stance you hold, We invite you to listen, reflect, and learn as we approach this topic from the quieter middle space, end Mm. quote. Well, I want to say first that I believe there is a significant need for the church to come alongside parents and ministry leaders who are discipling kids who are struggling with gender and sexuality. That is absolutely something that is needed today. The relevant question, though, is how a conference is guiding parents and leaders in that discipleship. Is it guiding them in a way that holds to biblical truth while navigating through the difficult issues? And that's where the problem comes in here. It's really clear from the speaker selection as well as the conference description that the conference is not about guiding parents who are already committed to a biblical view of sexuality. Note that the description said, no matter what theological stance you hold, they want to invite you to a quieter middle space. And if you look in their frequently asked questions, they also say, in a world that makes us choose sides, you will experience a conference from the quieter middle space. 
So what does that mean? The middle space to them seems to be a place where you can treat sexuality as an agree to disagree area. They even say it's the world that's making people choose sides on the issue. But let's be clear. It's not the world. It's God himself. God has already told us which side is the right side. So choosing a side is the right thing to do when God has already spoken. So it just seems that it's very clear from their own words that a quieter middle space is a place where we don't have people going back and forth and debating issues, but that's not necessarily the right place to be. It might be quieter, but it's also not accurate according to God's own word. Right. And nobody would approach medicine this way. I mean, think about a cancer diagnosis. If you're going to have some sort of a conference where you say, you know, nobody's going to have an opinion on whether or not cancer is deadly or not. We're just going to kind of sit in this quiet middle space. Well, that would do nobody any good. That would do no good for anybody, especially the people who actually have cancer, who need the the tough diagnosis to know like, okay, this is the reality. How do I treat this? And um, and so they're, it's almost like they're approaching these life and death, death issues as if they're not life and death. And I kind of makes me think of the orange curriculum. Um, you know, of course we have, uh, an episode on this, on the unshaken faith podcast, it's episode 15. So if anyone's listening, you want to go back and hear what we had to say about, about that. I recommend you do that. But also the orange curriculum began at Stanley's North point church, and it's been sliding into a progressive type of Christianity over the years. And so, um, you know, Natasha, we did that that live stream, that that big live stream with our friends Krista and Monique from the Center for Biblical Unity, and we highlighted the overtly humanistic messaging from their annual conference. And it's really only just become more confusing for people trying to figure out Orange's stance on LGBTQ issues. This quiet middle space, quote unquote, seems to scream affirmation for behaviors and identities that go against God's word. And, and in some way, it's almost just like using covert language to affirm. Yeah, it absolutely seems like that. And like you said, we talked about that a lot in our in our prior content. But when you try to use that covert language, it's like you don't want to be rejected by the people who hold to the historic faith. And so they're trying to kind of reach that middle ground, right? They don't want to overtly offend people, but they want to be sympathetic to this other side. And, and just to be clear, uh, we're not saying that Stanley runs Orange. Orange is not run by him. It's run by the co-founder right. of his church, though, Reggie joiner and it comes with Stanley's endorsement. So that's the relationship there. And so if you didn't listen to that episode and you're wondering what we're talking about, episode 15 of the Unshaken Faith podcast, I'd really encourage you to do that so you're familiar with it because it is used in tons of churches. This isn't just one of many curricula that is out there. It's used by so many. And we had so many people tell us after we did that content, I had no idea what curriculum my church uses for the kids. And I went and I asked and sure enough, it's orange. So there's a really good chance that your church could be using it. We'd encourage you to find out what they're they're using. It is becoming increasingly progressive. Now, some people might be wondering, why are you calling out Andy Stanley in particular? Why is what Andy Stanley does such a big deal that we're spending a whole episode on him as opposed to anyone else? And maybe some listeners have never even heard of him. Well, you need to know that Andy Stanley heads one of the largest churches in America with over 38,000 people in attendance every week across eight locations. And as Lisa said in the past, he's been considered by many to be a biblically sound teacher. And I'm carefully saying quote unquote, considered by many here, because I've really only personally followed what Stanley is doing since the time that his teachings did become a concern. But it's my understanding that, like Lisa said, he's at least been known in the past as a pastor who's committed to the historic Christian faith. So when a large number of people are trusting the teaching of a given pastor, 
who has been known to be biblically faithful, and then that pastor starts supporting unbiblical ideas, that's extremely important to call attention to, especially on something like gender and sexuality, where Christians are already confused and getting pulled into secular ways of thinking. Christians who have looked up to Stanley in the past might see this as an indication that you know what, I guess it is okay to disagree or agree on this one. It's just one of, quote unquote, many theological stances that you could legitimately have as a Christian. That's the conclusion that people can come to when they've trusted a pastor in the past. And now he's saying, hey, you know, either way you want to go on this, let's just sit in this quiet middle space. So bottom line, when a trusted pastor of a large church supports and promotes false teachings, we have to say something because that can become a stumbling point to a lot of people. And we want to say that the Bible explicitly speaks to the importance of this. So Elisa, take us through some of what the Bible does say on this, because we've gotten a lot of people in the past say, hey, you shouldn't call out people, but the Bible tells us to, right? Right. Well, culturally speaking, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to judge anything or tell right. anybody how to live their life. You know, you live your truth. I'll live my truth. You do you. I'll do you, me. But that's not biblical. That's not what we're called to as Christians. And I really appreciate what you just said, Natasha, because that relationship component is so important to understand when it comes to deception. It's easy to spot something from somebody you have no connection to. But when this is a pastor you have trusted for a really long time and maybe even really genuinely been ministered to by, it can be so confusing when they start sliding off because you want to give them a long rope. You want to give them as much room as possible. And so I think that does add to the confusing nature of it when it comes to being deceived. But I did want to comment a little more because in the beginning, I brought up some traits of false teachers, one of which comes from Jesus himself. In fact, Jesus described false teachers as wolves. That's Jesus's word is wolf. He said, and here's how he said, you'll recognize them by their fruit. And so one thing I've encountered with the progressive Christian thinking is that many people have a great misunderstanding of what Jesus is talking about when he uses that word fruit. So many times people think that what he means is that, um, fruit means you you have more peace. It makes you feel good. It's a good experience for you. It's something that resonates with you inside. But that's not at all what Jesus means here. And he'll just take us through a, a few verses here. So in Matthew, this comes from Matthew, uh, the, Matthew's gospel. We'll go to Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, not everyone who co- says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So Jesus is directly connecting obedience with entering the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's not preaching a gospel of works here. This has to do with a process of sanctification. If you're a real Christian, there will be evidence of obedience in your life, even if it's just a little bit. You will experience conviction of sin if you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But notice there's nothing in here about how it makes you feel or how you know if, if it's a good experience or if it resonates with you. In fact, a lot of people would say this is not really resonating with me. Um, and then John the Baptist in Matthew 3, he he says, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee the wrath to come. Now, this is such a key line here. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So that word fruit there is directly connected with repentance. And he says, every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then this is back to Jesus in John 15, 8 through 10. He said, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Now pay attention here. If you keep my commandments, 
you will abide in my love. So this all has to do with obeying God. It has to do with a life that bears the fruit of repentance and sanctification. And if that's not enough, the word that is used in the New Testament to describe bad fruit is the word, uh, and I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation, but it's paneros, and it has a moral connotation. There are other words that could have been used to signify something more like ugly or like a rotten apple or something like this, but this has direct connection to morality. So paneros means bad moral fruit. So the literal translation would be, uh, you know, immoral behavior. It's, it's, it has to do with obeying. So according to Jesus, you'll actually recognize a false teacher by whether or not they lead you to obey God's word or if they give you permission to sin. And so by hosting this conference and inviting speakers who affirm sin, it doesn't even really matter at this point what Andy Stanley's personal opinion might be. He is leading people to sin. And and that breaks my heart to say that. But that is exactly how the Bible says to recognize a false teacher. Yeah, and we we take no delight in doing an episode like this. It's not like yeah. we exist to call people out and and oh look, we found something to talk about, but we think that awareness needs to be brought to this issue because there have been increasing concerns about Andy Stanley in recent years. People ask us about it and 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 like we said, he has been known to be biblically faithful in the past, so it's been really confusing. So it brings us no delight to to do this episode today, but we do think that it's important to tell people about given everything that Elisa just said. Yeah. And pray for Andy Stanley too. Yeah. Pray for his repentance in this issue that maybe he'll see the light and turn back. It's, you know, God can do anything. So let's pray for him. Yeah. And for the conference that God would bring good out of it, despite what we have the concerns over. So thank you guys for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe to the Elisa Childers podcast and the Natasha Crane podcast for more long form episodes where we go deeper into topics like these. For now, let's remember that as Christians, we have a firm foundation to stand on that as Psalm 62 puts it, is our rock and salvation, our fortress where we will never be shaken. 